The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 369 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is, who is protecting the genomes of English people? A genome is an individual's complete set of genetic information. Each genome contains the exact instructions required by the body's natural processes to create us from the moment we are conceived. Now, in 2012, a news story broke about the finding under a car park, I think it was in Leicester, um, this was the finding of the body of England's long-dead King Richard III, and how genetic information was used to link him, 500 years later, to a Canadian citizen. Which means that if my or your genetic information is collected today, it can be used to predict the genetic makeup of my or your descendants for centuries to come. Genetic information has important and beneficial uses, such as warning us that we may have a genetic predisposition to serious illnesses such as breast cancer, such as medical treatment personalized for our personal genetics, and such as research into ways of counteracting our dangerous genetic predisposition. Positions, But genetic information also has the potential for being misused and abused, all of which is why our topic, who is protecting the genomes of English people, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. Our guest today is Dr. Helen Wallace. Helen is Director of GeneWatch UK, a not-for-profit organization which aims to ensure that genetic technologies are used in the public interest. She has 20 years' experience of campaigning on science and policy issues, having previously worked as a scientist and as a mathematician. She's published widely on the role of genetic technologies in healthcare and the implications of DNA testing for health and privacy. She's actively engaged in debates about the regulation of health claims for genetic tests and the need for fully informed consent to genetic research projects. She led GeneWatch UK's successful campaign for innocent people's records to be removed from the UK Police's National DNA Database 
And now she runs a global project seeking safeguards for privacy and human rights forensic, for forensic DNA databases around the world. So welcome to the show, Helen. Thank you. Now, my very first question for you is personal. <laughs> Please tell us more about your life, your career, and any experiences or experience you have of family caregiving. Helen? Well, that's a big question. I'm, uh, I'm a middle-aged woman, so I've had quite a varied career working. Uh, I studied physics originally and then mathematics, and uh, I worked as a scientist, an environmental scientist, and I became interested in the health issues, really, from that perspective. Um, and uh, in about 2000, I became concerned about some of the claims being made about the Human Genome Project, which I felt were a little bit exaggerated. And that's when I went to work for GeneWatch. And uh, since then, I've been looking at issues to do with science and technology, especially genetic technologies, uh, ranging from uh, issues about the reliability of genetic testing through to privacy issues and other concerns. Just a quick question. Have you any experience you want to mention of family caregiving? Uh, well, I do. Not not that much, mainly because my mum is such a great carer. My mum is, is, you know, really taking overall responsibility. But I do have a, a father with dementia and also a, a brother with schizophrenia. So I am quite familiar with some of the issues that some of your listeners will be dealing with in their families. Thank you for that. Now, next question for you, Helen, please, is... Tell us more about the work of GeneWatch UK. Well, GeneWatch was set up by a woman called Sue Mayer, who was concerned about um, really not just about genetics, but about science and technology in general, and the fact that people should have a say about new technologies and not just leave that to scientists and politicians behind closed doors. So um, we believe that you know, you need to be informed about the science, but you also need to be informed about commercial interests, political interests, and for people to really think for themselves about what these technologies will mean for them. And we look uh, at medical technologies that I'll be talking about today, but we also look about police use of DNA, and we also look about things like uh, GM crops and foods, genetically engineered or genetically modified crops. So a whole range of issues in different areas. And all those technologies, um, you know, have potential for some good uses or some negative uses. And uh, people need to think about what kind of safeguards they want. Right. Now, please tell us why, in your opinion anyway, the work of GeneWatch UK is important for families and family caregivers. Helen? Well, your genome, your genetic makeup in your DNA is shared within your family. So there will be occasions even now, if you have a genetic disorder in your family, for example, where you might have to make a decision about whether or not to have a genetic test. Uh, but in the future, if genetic testing becomes more widely used, it's possible that we'll all be offered the chance to have our whole genome sequenced. So that's all the chemical letters in your DNA. That information might be stored, it might be shared with governments or with private companies. And so people will have to decide whether they want to take part in those kind of projects, what uh, 
think about what that means for their family, uh, think about whether that's, you know, the most important explanation for some diseases. Um, and because it tells you not only about you, but also about who you're related to, uh, those decisions have to be thought about very carefully within the family, not only from an individual point of view. Let me just ask you as a follow-up to that, how, how well informed do you think in general families and family caregivers in the UK are, and if you're willing to extend that just generally, you know, throughout North America and Europe, how well informed are families and family caregivers about the benefits and the risks of, um, let's call it DNA genome collection systems? Uh, well, I think families who have a genetic disorder in their family often do know a lot about that specific condition and about how that information might be useful to them. Uh, but I think in uh, wider society, the idea that you might test um, healthy people for any possible risk of future disease, people aren't really aware of the pros and cons. There's been a lot of hype about the human genome, uh, claiming we'll be able to predict all kinds of diseases, uh, potentially from birth. A lot of those claims about the predictive value are exaggerated. Um, if I take uh, mental health as an example, there are really no confirmed genetic links with any mental health disorder despite all the research that's gone on so uh, you're not going to get a lot of useful information at the moment uh, or even maybe when further studies are done so there's a lot of hype there on the other hand there are some specific conditions where it might be very helpful so um, it's complicated and you also need to think about you know the storage of the information the privacy issues and uh, potential commercial exploitation. So there's a lot of issues there that people, I think, don't know very much about, and we do need to talk about those issues more. Let me ask you this question again about the work of GeneWatch UK. How much of your work is devoted to what I'm going to call education of the wider public? That sounds a bit pompous, but basically making sure that uh, people in the UK are aware of the kind of things you're talking about and going to be talking about and understand, particularly the people that you identified who are, do not have any prior, real prior involvement with questions of genetics. Helen? Uh, well, it's a mixture, really. We try to provide briefings and information to uh, those individuals, but because we're quite a small organisation, we also lobby for more of that kind of activity to happen, not necessarily directly by us. And we also uh, write briefings for politicians in particular around certain issues and certain safeguards that um, people tell us that they think are important should be adopted. So a lot of our communication is also directed at politicians and others uh, behind the scenes to try to get them to take concerns seriously. Loaded question. How, success, how successful are you being in getting through to the politicians? I don't mean getting them just to read what you send, but influencing them, informing them, and generally drawing their attention to things that are important problems. How far have you got? Um, well, we've been 
quite successful, but only over the long term. So um, the example of the police use of DNA that you mentioned in your introduction, we successfully got more than a million innocent people's records taken off the police DNA database. So that was judged to be a threat to privacy and that safeguard was implemented. But that took about 10 years of campaigning. Uh, In the health area, we've been arguing that genetic tests should be regulated so that the health claims companies make, if they tell you you're at high risk of cancer, for example, that that health claim must be true and must be checked by an independent regulator. Now, in the US, in fact, the FDA has started doing that. In Europe, we're a little bit behind, but there is a draft regulation, so we're kind of moving in the right direction. But again, uh, that's more than 10 years we've been arguing for that. So it is a slow, po- uh, slow process. Fair enough. Now, talking of time, this is the time where we have to take the break. This is where, where I always say we have to pay the rent. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Helen Wallace. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. What kind of world do you want to live in? Should we continue down our current path, or is there a better way? Together, we can change the world. We must start with ourselves, then we can future-proof our homes, businesses, and communities. Many people don't realize it, but most of our society's biggest problems can be solved using current technology. My name is Shane Wolf, and I want to help you understand what you can do right now to make a difference while saving money, reducing your environmental impact, and improving the health of yourself and the people around you. Join me for Future Proof Radio, and let's build a better world. Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Helen Wallace. Our topic is who is protecting the genomes of English people? Helen, now let's talk about misuse or abuse of genetic information. So my first question is, please explain the potential for misuse or abuse of genetic information collected by hospitals. Helen? Well, the uh, the potential for misuse or abuse is really related to, partly to how much information is collected. So one idea that's, that's starting to be explored and could happen in the future is that your whole genome or a substantial amount of genetic information would be stored with your electronic medical record. And uh, because your genome is like a genetic fingerprint, your DNA can be used to track you uh, to identify your relatives. They're obviously important privacy concerns. Um, uh, to give you an example, a worst-case scenario, somebody uh, gets your DNA off a coffee cup or something, searches it against a database, uh, can track down your health information if they're working in, in a hospital. So you need to have uh, strict privacy controls. You need to know who's accessing the information, you need to prevent uh, circumstances where maybe the partner of an abused woman, for example, can somehow uh, find out where they're living just using their health records. So uh, there are a lot of privacy issues and a lot of need for careful security uh, in terms of genetic information collected within hospitals. We're going to be talking later about the protections and this kind of thing, but for the moment, I'd just like to stay with you on the types of misuse or abuse that can occur. You know, if, if, if our information is flowing into the electronic medical record systems of hospitals, what do you see as the potential for a misuse or abuse once the information is actually in that record? Uh, the information in the record, um, it may may include sensitive health information, but your, your health record will include that anyway. So what the genome added, adds, what the genetic information adds is really this kind of link to your body. You can get your genome from your saliva, from your blood. You can search that against the database in the same way the police would with a police database and you can pull down all this other information about you. So what you want to prevent in a hospital is somebody doing that who shouldn't have access to that kind of private information. Um, there are lots of other concerns about misuse or abuse but those mostly relate to commercial interests or how third parties or other people accessing that information could um, then misuse or abuse it. Right. So let's, let's talk about what you've just said. Please, would you explain to us the potential for misuse or abuse of genetic information collected for commercial purposes? Helen? Well, we have major concerns really about commercial exploitation of genetic information and that's because there is a lot of commercial interest in trying to predict your risks, particularly of common diseases, so particularly of the diseases where actually genetic information isn't that useful because uh, diet and exercise and all those other lifestyle factors or environmental factors are actually very important. Uh, but the reason there's commercial interest in this area is because 
feeding back your risks, categorizing you as at high risk of diseases, uh, would enable companies to start marketing medicines to a lot more healthy people. Medicines and other products like supplements, like foods. And so there's a lot of concern that, um, if you like, cowboy companies will start uh, misleading people about their genetic risks and selling them products that they really don't need. And if you think that sounds, you know, a little bit like scaremongering, uh, we've already uncovered a lot of companies who sell genetic tests online who have provided completely misleading information. And uh, if you send your sample off now to two or three different companies you find online, you will get told different answers about your risk of common conditions like heart disease, for example. And that's because the information really isn't there. The understanding isn't there to predict those diseases. And um, it's probably not a strongly genetic type of condition anyway. So there's a lot of potential for people to be misled, sold these kind of genetic horoscopes and and sold products on the back of misleading information. Um, so uh, And also because your DNA can be used to track you, identify your relatives, if that information is handed over to commercial companies, they might start marketing you uh, products based on what's happened to your relatives say you had a relative with cancer it might be well are you sure you're not at high risk of cancer do you want uh, to take more tests to have more um, medicines or, or other products sold to you now still on this subject of commercial purposes uh, there's been concern as i understand it expressed regarding insurance companies that is to say insurance companies it's said, might discriminate against people on the basis of their genetic information by either refusing to insure them or heavily loading their insurance policy costs. Any comments on that, Helen, please? Well, yes, that is a real risk. And in fact, that that has happened in real cases. But we do have some safeguards now. So in the US, there's an act called GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, which protects people to some extent, uh, stops insurers from uh, excluding people from insurance, health insurance schemes. Uh, in uh, the UK, it's a bit vaguer. There's a voluntary agreement with the government not to use genetic test results, so we're concerned that could change at any time. Uh, there is some protection, but the protection isn't strong enough, really, for you to be sure that your genetic test, if you ever have one, uh, would be uh, would not be used against you. So it is an area where more safeguards are definitely needed. Right. Now, let's turn to another difficult arena and that is police and criminal justice systems so Helen what's the potential for misuse or abuse of genetic information collected for or by police and criminal justice systems Helen? Well most people are familiar with the idea that you can you can examine a crime scene perhaps find a DNA on the handle of a knife or something like that and use that to match with the suspect and help to gain a conviction or even to exonerate an innocent person. And nobody has a problem with that idea overall, 
But what we're seeing now is a big expansion in these kind of police DNA databases where information can be collected from individuals who perhaps have just been arrested on suspicion of a very minor crime, who have maybe been wrongly accused of a crime, and their DNA can be taken and kept on record indefinitely, even if they've not done anything wrong. And the problem with that is you're looking at moving towards a kind of surveillance state because your DNA can be used to track you even if you're not at a crime scene. Uh, Imagine you were at a political meeting and you left your coffee cup there again with your DNA uh, in your saliva. In a a surveillance state, a a government could use that to find out you've been at a particular meeting. Uh, They could also use it to find out who your relatives are um, and, you know, basically implement excessive surveillance on people who are innocent. So, again... It's a good way to use DNA solving crimes, but if it goes too far, if uh, it's excessive, then uh, you can see it being abused by the police or by governments. Right. I want to just ask you an additional question relating precisely to that, but in particular criminal justice systems. Now, I can only speak, my knowledge is in any case very limited, about um, problems here in Canada where... Um, young people very often find themselves in detention centers and the reason they're being kept there is that nobody has the money to put forward to enable them to get out on bail. And so they are not found guilty of anything, but they're in the criminal justice system. And so therefore the question that I'd like to put to you, so far as you know, would there be a risk that individuals like that, uh, who have not been found guilty of anything but are still nevertheless inside the criminal justice system, might have their DNA, their gene, their information collected by the justice system or the police? Helen? Well, I think in Canada the law is still quite strict on when the police can actually take a person's DNA. So I don't think that's happening in Canada at the moment. But in uh, Britain, the police can take DNA on arrest from anyone the age of 10 or older for even very minor offences. So that DNA will still be collected on arrest from very young people for minor alleged offences. But um, they do have to take you off the database now if you're found not guilty. Uh, So what we've seen around the world is is more attempts to expand these databases and not only collect but keep that information indefinitely. And about half of U.S. states now are collecting DNA on arrest and some of those are not requiring that information to be removed from the database even when people are innocent. Just to go back to my introduction of you and your bio have i understood it correctly that it was an initiative by genewatch uk and therefore you that reduced this risk of the genetic information being collected and used against people who were arrested and kept in jail for reasons that vary considerably helen Yes, we weren't the only people involved. There were some great lawyers that brought a a legal case to the European Court of Human Rights and a lot of other campaign groups also got involved. But we were really the main group convincing the politicians that they had to 
listen to the judgment and implement new legislation to take those innocent people, including many children, off the UK database and implement that safeguard. And we also got all the samples destroyed because the samples that the police collected were being kept as well and they could have gone back and analysed them to find out more personal health information, which governments shouldn't really have access to. So those have now been destroyed as well. This is a loaded question, but are you satisfied with the progress you've made or do you see the need for more progress on this particular matter we're talking about? Helen? I think there's still a need for more progress. We're looking at this issue internationally now and we're seeing uh, particularly the companies involved lobbying in lots of countries to set up databases. So we want those kind of safeguards there, but also uh, other safeguards to make sure the DNA is used properly in court and collected properly from the crime scene. And uh, back here in England, we're still concerned that the police take DNA too often, particularly from children, when it's not necessary to solve the offence. So we'd rather see the collection of DNA restricted further. Right. Now, we've reached the point where we need to take the break once more, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. Helen Wallace. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. If you are a dreamer aspiring to realize your dreams, join host Michael Friedlander for Dreamers, Winners, and Making a Difference. For Michael, to be a winner doesn't mean you must have finished first or must have great wealth, fame, and lots of toys. Instead, It means you must have realized your dreams without cheating or acting unethically. It means you must have made a difference for the better in the lives of those you've touched. Tune in to Dreamers, Winners, and Making a Difference, live every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Helen Wallace. Our topic is who is protecting the genomes of English people? Helen, now let's talk about the protections that are needed to safeguard people, their genetic relatives and their descendants against the risks of misuse or abuse of genetic information. So, first question for you, Helen, please. Please, would you highlight for us the protections needed to protect hospital patients, their genetic relatives and their descendants against these risks of misuse or abuse of their genetic information. Protections. Helen, please. Well, I think the first thing is that people uh, should only really have their uh, DNA taken with their fully informed consent. So for the use, you know, for specific purposes when it's necessary and useful for their care and when they've been told about why and what kind of information they're going to get back. Now, that is normally the case in hospitals at the moment, um, but we don't want to see those protections weakened uh, as new technology comes in and as testing potentially expands. Uh, On top of that, we need uh, greater security measures for all this new information so that Uh, you're very clear who has access to your information, uh, that it's not going to be accessed by somebody who shouldn't be able to see it. Right. Let's go a little bit further into that one. Um, When it comes to hospitals, particularly the big ones, a lot of people, for good reasons, and occasionally not such good reasons, have access to the medical information generally in the electronic health record systems of hospitals. And if I understood you right before, you're saying that some, if not all, of this genetic information that's being connected actually goes into the electronic medical record of a hospital. Is that right? Well, it's not really right at the moment. At the moment, you would only have genetic information in your record if you've had Uh, if you've got a a relatively rare genetic disorder and you've had a diagnosis for that. But one of the proposals is that your genetic information will become a kind of attachment, electronic attachment to your medical record. And uh, it's that kind of future scenario that's coming. It's coming very soon um, that we need to be careful about and we need to make sure that that genetic information isn't uh, spread around the hospital and accessible Uh, to uh, large numbers of people who don't need to use it. So not everybody dealing with your care will need to have access to your whole genome. It's simply not going to be useful information in many circumstances. So it doesn't need to be collected always and it doesn't need to be shared always. Right. Now, let's. it's the same question, Helen. I'd like you to highlight for us the protections protections needed to protect individuals, their genetic relatives, and their descendants against the risks of misuse or abuse of their genetic information when it's being used for commercial purposes. Helen? 
Well, uh, the biggest, most important safeguard here is one that, that people often don't think of. Uh, people often think, you know, genetic information is genetic information. If I send my DNA to a company or if a company uh, analyzes the DNA that's been given to the hospital, I will get a meaningful interpretation of, of diagnosis of a disease or risk or predisposition to disease. Now, unfortunately... That is not always the case. So the top safeguard that you need is actual regulation to check whether commercial companies are really giving you an accurate and reliable interpretation of what that string of chemical letters in your DNA actually means for your health. And recently in the United States, the FDA has actually stepped in and made commercial companies withdraw uh, some of these genetic tests because they were making misleading claims or at least claims that couldn't be backed up by the evidence. So we'd like to see that in every country where testing's done, that uh, you check whether the claims the company's making are really reliable and useful. That has to be the top-line protection. On top of that, again, you need privacy protection. You don't want your genome stored by a commercial company to be uh, accessed by anyone uh, who shouldn't have it any more than you do if it's stored uh, by a hospital and then you need the kind of anti-discrimination protections that we talked about earlier so that your insurer or your employer can't refuse you insurance or refuse you a job based on your genetic makeup. Now let me ask you a sort of an additional question related to that. It's to do with licensing. Licensing as you know is a long established two centuries of experience established method of getting control over technology um, that has benefits but also that may have risks. Um, I mean, for example, uh, you know, once upon a time I was a doctor and I was licensed or registered mm -hmm. and if I did something wrong, caused harm that I shouldn't have caused, all those kinds of things, uh, the... the uh, legislation existed to take my license away from me so that I couldn't practice medicine or if I did I might even go to jail. Are there any movements towards licensing of organizations, particularly commercial ones, collecting genetic information? Helen? Um, well, there are some requirements or there are requirements being debated about the licensing requiring uh, professionals such as genetic counsellors to be involved in uh, taking the tests or feeding back the results of the tests. But in terms of the organisations, the commercial companies doing testing, uh, unfortunately the licensing aspect can only really relate to laboratory quality assurance. So basically, you can be licensed to make sure you're testing the DNA properly and you're getting that, that string of letters or genetic errors, if you like. You're finding the right genetic changes. Now, that's very important, but it's only a part of the story because the real uncertainties at the moment are in how you interpret that genome. Does that change or that series of changes in your genetic makeup that make you different from somebody else actually mean you're at high risk of a disease? And you can't do that by licensing. You have to do that by uh, checking each test um, 
checking the scientific evidence for each test rather than the laboratory as a whole and saying whether the claims that the company makes are reliable based on that evidence. So it's a little bit like uh, saying, you know, does a high cholesterol level really increase your risk of heart disease, for example? You need to do the studies that provide that evidence. And an individual doctor just can't do that. It would be a bit like saying uh, doctors could decide which drugs are safe without doing any clinical trials. You've got to have the studies that provide that evidence and you've got to have a regulator looking at the evidence saying, yes, we're convinced this test works. It does say what it does on the tin. Right. Very, very important point. Thank you. Now, third question. Um, Highlight for us, please, Helen, protections needed to protect individuals, genetic relatives and descendants against the risks of misuse or abuse of the genetic information that's collected by or for police and criminal justice systems. Please, you've already mentioned some of these things. Please say more, Helen. Well, what you need is legislation that's very clear about individual rights. So you need to have legislation that um, restricts when the police can collect DNA so that they can't just arbitrarily pick up someone on the street and take their DNA uh, if there's no reason for that. You might want to say a court should be involved in that decision or you might uh, allow it to be uh, decided on the basis of the 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 seriousness of offence, whether a person's been charged and so on. But you need strict uh, rules on when the police can collect the information in the first place. You need uh, privacy safeguards about what information they can take, so they shouldn't be collecting any health-related genetic information. They can use other parts of your genome that don't tell you anything about health. That's what's normally done, but that should be written in the law. Uh, You need safeguards on what information can be kept. So if you've been accused of a serious crime, it's perfectly sensible to allow the police to test your DNA, but should they be allowed to keep it if you're not convicted? We would say, no, that should be destroyed. Your sample should be destroyed. Your information should be taken off the database. And finally, there's a whole area, of course, about how the DNA is actually collected from the crime scene and used in court. We've been going to uh, countries around the world, countries like India, for example, where it's actually not that clear that the police really do uh, take proper care at crime scenes so that they, they know where they collected the DNA from in the first place. So you need to be very careful about that chain of custody and uh, be sure that when you use that information in a in a court that you know where it's come from and that it's reliable and it's been properly tested and not mixed up with some other evidence. Right. Now, here's another complex question to be answered, Helen, in a very short space of time. Do you see any aspects of the kind of things you're concerned about working for and in um, having a component of human rights, Helen? Yes, yes. I mean, you have uh, you have human rights, particularly in relation to the government or the state not interfering with your private life. And uh, that was the area in which the European Court of Human Rights judged that the UK government had gone too far and was keeping innocent people's uh, DNA records when they had no justification for that. So governments can breach your privacy if they have a justification for that while they're trying to solve a crime, for example, or looking for a terrorist, something like that. But 
if they've got no reason to keep the information, then they shouldn't be allowed to keep it. And it's more important when you think about how the US or the UK actually sets precedence for other countries because uh, other countries will look at what's happening and say, oh, it's not a human rights issue, we're allowed to do this because Britain's doing it or America's doing it. And if you're in a country where uh, you know people can be tortured or arrested for uh, criticizing the government, then you have to be very clear that they shouldn't be allowed to keep genetic information which would allow the government to track them down and also identify their relatives. Key, key issue in many, many respects. Thank you for that answer. Now, once more, it's time for the break, so we'll take it now. This is Dr. Gordon Adler. My guest is Dr. Helen Wallace. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Helen Wallace. Our topic is, who is protecting the genomes of English people? Helen, let's talk about what more you would like to do and see done to promote protections that are needed to safeguard people against the risks of misuse or abuse of their genetic information. So question number one, Helen, is what more would you like to do to promote these protections? Helen. 
Well, I think a big part of it is public information, like you say. So this is where I thank you for being on the program because it's really important to inform people and for people to go out and find out for themselves uh, more about the pros and cons. That's that's one important safeguard in itself. Uh, we would also like to see governments, of course, move faster to actually implement some of the legal safeguards that I've been talking about. And we'd like the general public to be more aware, particularly about this issue about commercial companies, because I think people do know there are privacy issues. They are a bit worried about the police and the government, but they're mostly not aware that companies can actually tell you genetic risks that, that are not reliable and useful. And so we really want to make sure that protection is in place. Now, what more would you like to see done? And by whom would you like to see it done to promote the protections that we're talking about? Helen? Well, mainly it's down to governments. Uh, some of it's uh, international as well, of course. Um, and in, in uh, the UK, a lot of the protections need to be implemented at the European level. Uh, but in other countries around the world, sometimes there aren't any safeguards at all. So uh, the safeguards, again, that we need are regulations to uh, stop companies from giving you misleading genetic test results, regulations to protect privacy, so to limit how much your genetic information can be shared and when it can be shared and make sure you know who's got your data and how they're using it. And uh, those all important uh, regulations to prevent genetic discrimination. Now, we have some bits and pieces of those laws in place. We have others being considered, but we certainly don't have all the safeguards that are necessary in place now. You use the word international. Is it the case that there are what I'll call international systems for collecting our genetic, our genome DNA data? And uh, If so, where are they and how do they operate? If they don't exist, are they likely to exist? Helen? Uh, well, currently, uh, most of the systems for collecting DNA, either by the police or for medical research, are, are national systems. But there's increasing discussion about sharing data internationally, so sharing the information across borders. And in fact, the United States has signed several agreements to uh, get access to European countries' Uh, police databases um, and there's also sharing of DNA information across Europe so it's going to become a bigger issue especially for example whether your DNA might be tested at borders uh, uh, when you enter the US or when you enter another country along with your passport one day and that would uh, certainly raise a lot more human rights issues so there are international concerns and there for the basic human rights issues that I talked about such as not letting the police have access to everybody's DNA. That's something that would uh, be better if it could be overseen at an international level, although there's currently no international safeguards for that. I'm right in interpreting you, am I, that you are really concerned about there being, that there should be international, um, can I call it, regulation. Uh, of these processes of collecting information. Um, I can understand from what you've been saying that the the borders might want to do my uh, 
genetic testing to see if I really am Gordon Atherley and where I've been before. That's, that's what they do at Borders. But on the other hand, the idea of putting everything about me into a database that's spread out all over the world um, is something that some people, and I'm one of them, would find frightening. Any quick comment on that, Helen? Well, that's, again, why the safeguards are so important. So we've talked a little bit about um, how uh, genetic information is used in hospitals and then about how it might be used by the police. The real dangers are if you start connecting all these things together. So if the police get access to your DNA and health information because they check your DNA against a health database at a border, that's obviously of much more concern. So um, the technology is getting there, it's getting cheaper, and some of these things could start to happen. There are um, prototype DNA testing devices, for example, which would allow the police to test your DNA on the streets and wouldn't necessarily require them to restrict that to to the non-health-related information. So uh, that's why the safeguards become more and more important because uh, otherwise, yeah, everybody could find out everything about you and uh, it could be misused in ways that uh, most people would object to. Right. Now, different sort of question, Helen, and this unfortunately has to be the last one, but what's your message for individuals and family caregivers who are wondering whether their genetic information is being collected by the hospital, clinic or doctor who's actually treating them? What's your message for the individuals and family caregivers? Helen? Well, the key message is to ask. Uh, Your doctor should not be taking your DNA and doing any kind of genetic test without first telling you and explaining how that's going to be used. Um, We're concerned that we're moving perhaps to a world where you're going to get less information, more testing, and you might get fed back information much later on that you didn't know uh, was happening. So uh, check with your doctor, check with your hospital. If they do ask you to give your DNA for research, for example, uh, check the small print. Are they going to just use it within the hospital or do they plan to share it with a commercial company? Uh, What are the safeguards to stop? the police or others that you might not want uh, like insurance companies accessing that data and really people just have to ask questions at the moment because nothing's been finally decided do they have in the, the, these individuals and family caregivers any kind of right of refusal that is do they have any kind of right to say to the doctor or the hospital or the clinic no i don't want you collecting my information for those purposes Helen. Yes, you do have a right to refuse. So if you're not happy with the circumstances or the reasons, just say no. Right, (laughs) yes. Um, That's a very plain and clear answer. And it's a very plain and clear answer to one of the fundamental questions, uh, uh, one of the several fundamental questions you've raised in this episode and this discussion. Um, Unfortunately, as I say, we've come to the end. We're running out of time. But I want to say to you, first of all, thank you. Um, Secondly, all success to you in your work because plainly you are leading forward on the matters that uh, people, first of all, should know about, the, the risks of abuse, misuse that people should be aware of, and also in getting messages across to bureaucrats, to politicians, and to the wider public 
nationally and internationally about the challenges and in that way what you're doing is repeating history because throughout the two centuries of technical history it's always been this way brilliant new technologies are, have benefits but they also have risks and painfully we've learned historically that you have to do something about the risks you can't just assume they're going to go away if you're going to get the fullest benefits that the technology offers. So I see you as, in the very most productive of ways, moving forward, armed with the lessons of the, the last two centuries. You mentioned that you've been a physicist. Well, if you just take the example of ionizing radiation and look at the lessons we've learned there and understood how we've understood the need to regulate all of this, then again, there's the continuity, the historical continuity. So thank you. I want to say thank you quickly to our listeners. With Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics such as the one we've just been listening to so please email me to hear more or to get involved our next episode will be living through the stages of younger onset alzheimer's disease please join us same time same spot on the internet talk to you then thank you again for joining us this week for family caregivers unite with your host dr gordon atherley Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.